Let's move beyond your comfort zone and into your genius zone because it's time to tap into the higher wisdom within you, your higher genius. I'm your host, Christy Turley, author of the book, The Intuition-Led Business, serial entrepreneur and intuitive intelligence expert. Imagine the possibilities when you can make better decisions and create practical and sustainable solutions using the power of your intuition, your higher genius. This is the Higher Genius Podcast. Elena Bensonhoff joins me today as we talk about how to align on every level of your mind, body, and spirit. We'll also talk about how the fear of success is connected to the fear of being seen and her simple practices that helps her overcome that fear of being seen. And we'll also talk about her intuitive gifts and how they started to unfold and how she came to trust the information she was receiving about others to help them heal. Elena is an award-winning holistic practitioner, a consultant pharmacist, and the founder of Holistic Inc. She's a pioneer in the field of functional, regenerative, and energy wisdom, and she's been doing that for over 20 years. She's also the author of Holistic Wisdom and has been featured on media outlets including Elephant Journal, Mind Valley, iHeart Radio, Daily Grind, Solvana, and NBC News. All right. Welcome, Elena, to the show. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Yeah, you're welcome. So we have a really fun episode planned talking about uh, abundance and how to overcome the fear of being successful. So whenever I hear someone say, oh, you have the fear of success or, you know, it always doesn't, it, it just doesn't like hit me in the right spot. I'm like, what does that mean? Because fear of failure is so obvious. Like, you know, you can resonate with that, but how could someone possibly be afraid of being successful? What does that even mean? Yeah, no, that's that's a really great uh, question, and uh, I would say I would say this for me. I think the biggest fear was I would say not success, but to be seen, to be seen and to be exposed. And I would say that most people probably are afraid of having success or fear of success because they're afraid to be seen. At least as far as I I could tell, uh, based on many of my friends who were entrepreneurs and who are. Um, and it's very easy to fall into the category of being unseen in the work that you do. And for me, for many years, it was working uh, behind the counter in the pharmacy, uh, whether it was compounding or consulting uh, with many patients or diabetes clinic. Uh, it was kind of comfortable uh, having a, a salary and going to work every other day. So pharmacists don't normally work every day. It was every other day and every other weekend for me, the shifts that I used to work but they were very, very long days. And I quickly realized uh, probably over 10 years of working as a pharmacist that I wanted a change in my life and I didn't like the retail aspect of it. And then of course I went into the world of energy medicine, functional anti-aging medicine, and I realized that this is where my passion was. But then the biggest fear was how to connect your passion and, uh, and make that a success right? And not allow the fear of unknown stop you from what you truly want in your life. And for me, uh, I definitely had to overcome my own fears of, um, well, I have my career, I have uh, a certain amount of income, everything is predictable, leaving all of that behind 
and saying to myself, this is who I am, this is what I love and following my passion. So, which led me to starting Holistic uh, and uh, consulting with people and working with people all around the world. So the mission is really to balance body, mind and soul and eliminate chronic illness. So whatever passion you have, I believe that that, that could be your success is following your passion, your love, your heart, aligning with that. And that is what makes you a successful person. So I think success is also defined to different people in different ways. Yeah. Much like the word abundance, you know, when you hear the word abundance, that means so many different things to so many different people. So, um, what are some ways that you can, someone could define success? I can tell you how I define success is waking up and having absolute excitement and joy to start my day. Whether it's Monday, Tuesday, Saturday, Sunday, I love what I do. And I would say that what I do is an extension of who I am. So to me, that is success, is having joy and love and inspiration that comes from the inside out. I don't feel anyone is blocking me. I don't feel blocked where I wake up and I'm not inspired to do what I do. So that is success to me. That's great. And you've had a lot of clients, like what are other ways that people have defined success, whether, whether it's true for them or not, like maybe they have an idea of what they think success is. And then they go through the transformation with you and realize that, oh, wait, you know, now I think success is this. So I would say probably we'll put people in a bubble and I never like to do that, but right of people I think success will be monetary success and that's the only success that they that they um, can define and um, connect with what I've realized over the years I've worked with many many people that have uh, had successful companies that have had successful careers and I'm putting quotation marks around success that were living in very unhealthy relationships uh, having absolute uh, chaos in their bodies. So their health was not in balance. So to me, again, success is really when you're aligning all of those aspects within yourself. So whether it's your career or your relationship or uh, your health, all of it is connected. So you cannot define success based just on money, because if that is the driving force of of, uh, how you define success, you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. Yeah, because it can become part of your identity and you're not your bank account, right? Exactly. You're so much bigger than that. Yes. Yeah. So walk me through a typical process that um, someone will go through when they're realigning themselves. Wow, that's a big... (laughs) It is a big question, I know. But you're talking about alignment and I'm like, well, how how would someone go (laughs) about doing that? How do they even know they're out of alignment? Let's start there. Yeah, I I will share a story with you. Actually, I had a brand new client that uh, wrote to me. She just felt compelled to reach out and work with me. And then one of my questions uh, on the assessment form that I have everyone fill out, it says, uh, uh, what is it that you want to work on? And she said, I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. And then like, what what do you feel is is wrong or that needs uh, shifting in your life? Again, her answer was, I don't know. And she said to me, actually, after having a call, and I read her entire energy field. So what I do is I read a morphogenetic field of a human being, that because we're not just a one dimensional, or, you know, being in our physical body, which is the vehicle through which we experience life, but it's also looking at your soul aspects, your emotions, your mental state of being, there's so much to us than what we perceive just with our 
physical eyes, right? Or our five senses. So for her, it was amazing to discover that there were all these blockages that she had. And a lot of it stems from trauma. So whether you experienced trauma as a child or there was a vent and situation that left an imprint in your field and therefore you made a decision, for example, to live your life in fear. And that is your norm. So let's say you're 46 years old and the trauma happened to you when you were five. So it means for over 40 years, you've lived your life and think that this is the normal way of living. So you're basically in constant state of fight or flight. <clears throat> and that actually goes across the board in your relationship, in your health, right? So for this particular person, and again, every case is separate and individualized and customized. You know, she has a lot of gut issues. Uh, we discovered that she has adrenal fatigue, so she gets tired a lot. Then she's having mood swings. So all of it is related. And in order to work and align yourself with um, whatever desires, dreams, inspirations that you have, it's very difficult to align when you have chaos in your vehicle, the divine vehicle, which is your body. So it's crucial to begin to clear your diet, get rid of toxins, so the energy uh, can flow much easier and you can actually sense yourself on every level. And I'll give you an example, and that's the example I usually give to all of the clients I work with. So if you imagine that your mind is the CEO of a company, okay, your company, uh, your soul aspect is the vision and mission in life. And then your organs, right, your organ systems, your body parts are actually your employees. So when the mind or the CEO has to constantly battle with chaos or inflammation that is happening in the company, right? Uh, the last thing that the CEO and the mind can focus on is the mission and vision in life. So therefore, every case is different, but it's important to balance out the chaos that's happening in the body. It's important to bring self-love into it. And I'm not talking about being selfish. I'm talking about setting boundaries and treating your body with love and respect. And a lot of people treat their bodies like they're the trash can, basically, you know, putting mindlessly eating and putting all kinds of things that deplete your energy system. So it's very difficult to have energy to, to focus on the things that bring you joy, right? So most people actually will do things to numb, whether it's through drinking or diet or whatever it is that we're doing or any kind of addictive patterns, which almost everyone has. So... Again, being in alignment is aligning your body, mind, and soul. And that is treating yourself with utmost respect and love. That's great. So, um, yeah. So what kind of things do you see in someone's biofield? Like, how does your gift work? Like, I'm super curious. Everyone has spiritual gifts and everyone has spiritual senses, right? It's just, they appear differently. So how does it you, do you feel comfortable talking a little bit more about your gift and how it occurs for you? Yes, I can talk about how it started and then where it progressed. Perfect. I'll share that. So initially when uh, I left the field of working full-time as a pharmacist, it was a little transition in the beginning. I began to practice energy medicine and uh, it was life-changing for me because initially I thought I was losing my mind because I started seeing and hearing things and knowing mm -hmm. things. And it was knowing things about a person without asking them for their medical condition. And that was one thing that I told myself is I will not take the person's medical history, which is kind of opposite of how we were trained. We would normally have people fill out all the medical history, what medications they're on. And I said, no, in this work, I'm going to first 
see what comes to me. And then the, at the end of the session, we'll talk with the patient or the client about the findings. And what was amazing to me is everything that was coming through was actually happening in real life with the person that I was working with. And this is how the process of trusting myself began to happen. A lot of magical things started to appear. And I call it magic because I mean, when you are trained um, in a very linear kind of way of thinking, uh, here's my symptom, this is the drug, this is what I see, this is what I don't see, whatever I don't see, I don't trust, I don't believe, this was the way I was trained. And uh, shifting out of that into a reality that is so much bigger because all the information exists. And this is where I began to read and research about morphogenetic field. And if you think, and I'll define in my terms, easy terms of what morphogenetic field is. So if you imagine that you, the physical you is your laptop, right? And you have a cloud space, which records everything. So your cloud space, we could say, is your morphogenetic field. So it keeps a record of everything. All kinds of files are stored in there. And sometimes, you know, when you get offline, right? And then you go back online, you have to sync your cloud to your computer. So let's say you go into your own cave and space of being disconnected with yourself. You go through traumatic experience. You have, I would say, abused your body in many ways by the way you've been eating, perhaps taking medications or any kind of substances. You're literally offline. So you're offline and it's very difficult for the files that are stored in your cloud to be synced. So there's all kinds of viruses that begin to infiltrate and parasites begin to infiltrate your system, which is like your computer. Uh, and it's important to have something that can clear that up. So the viruses do not infiltrate your cloud space, right? With all the files. Mm -hmm. So I slowly began to transition into reading uh, the morphogenetic field. And uh, now what I do at that years ago, I was also uh, reading people's blood work, stool analysis, because I still wanted to see that data. I wanted to know what was happening. And then I realized a lot of times uh, the symptoms that people were experiencing would not, were not always in alignment with uh, blood work or the stool analysis. There, there was a gap for me and for people that were seeking the help, right? For seek, truly seeking for the answers. So that's when I realized the answers are actually stored in the field. And it's really when you begin to reali realign the field with the physical body and you remove the blocks then that's when the communication happens. And that's really when the person begins to feel better. So now I've progressed to, to reading this field. Can anyone do it? I would say uh, if you know how to detach from outcomes, there is no expectations then, and you become just the pure channel. There's, you're not you, you're just the channel, right? Then it's, it is easy to do but it takes a lot of practice to know what is you, what is not you, uh, which part of you is, um, you have to detach from yourself. So not only detach from the outcomes, but you have to detach from yourself and at the same time, stay absolutely grounded and present. So that's the key. And I think that's the key with uh, working um, with anyone in the health in the health field, I'm sure, especially for those that do energy medicine, it's important to have your compassion, right? But have that compassion um, when 
when you're talking to the person, but not necessarily when you're reading the field. And for me, initially, it was really difficult because I would get fully engulfed in their field and I would feel absolutely everything because I'm an, an empath. I see, I feel, I sense, it's, it's constant. And I knew, uh, actually, it was draining me on every level and I would get exhausted. So also I had to learn to set boundaries of how many people per day I can read. It takes me four to five hours to read one person. So now I only take one person a day. I don't take more than that. Uh, it's a little different than doing energy work because if you do energy work, uh, let's say you, you're with somebody for an hour. So I used to do 10 people a day. Now it's just one person and reading that person. Wow. So, um, so one thing that I heard you say that was really interesting is, is clearing those files, you know, clearing the viruses out. Um, okay. Let's say someone wanted to start opening up their intuition. You know, you definitely have to do the inner work on yourself before you can turn to help others. Like, just like you're saying, so what are some of the steps that someone can take to start decluttering, to start clearing up their own field so that they can be that clear channel? Yes, I would say so many people want to be healers. And number one thing to recognize is as a practitioner, you're not healing anyone. This mm -hmm. is the one rule. Uh, you're not fixing anyone. You're not attaching to the outcome of anything that happens. But first, you need to clear yourself. And how that is, is you have to become the healer yourself for yourself. So that means you have to clear out your diet. You have to clear out any kind of emotional blocks that you have. You have to work on yourself daily, whether it's also physical movement, meditation, whatever it might be. You have to fully commit to, to yourself 100%. Yeah, that's really good. And, and what you said is so true. Like, I think there's a lot of, um, people out there that who want to be healers or who are healers and they think they're the ones doing the healing and that's so not true. So who is doing the healing? The person is doing the healing on themselves. All you're doing as a practitioner is redirecting their energy flow. Mm -hmm. But, you know, to me, what I also recognized because initially I had my traditional medical training and then the energy medicine, and I recognized that two worlds um, cannot exist separate, it's together. And for somebody who truly wants to be the practitioner, right? Or the intuitive, you have to respect the body, you have to understand the anatomy and physiology of the body. It's the same thing as if you're going to see a medical doctor and they're just focusing on your physical body and disregard your emotional state of being and your spiritual aspect. It's the same thing that the person who is working on you spiritually does not have the respect and understanding, true understanding and knowledge of what's happening on a physical level. To me, those worlds come together because this is a holistic approach. You're a holistic being. You're this giant being. There is not just, you know, it's not like you're operating just with, uh, I don't know, your torso. You're operating as a whole being, right? Mm -hmm. so it's crucial to address the entire being. And a lot of times I see that people are either doing one or the other, and they're not learning both. So I encourage for those people that are truly wanting to be healers, and again, remember, they're not the healers, but are who are wanting to work in the arts of healing, healing arts, uh, have to really study the human anatomy and physiology. I think that's crucial. And uh, perhaps uh, traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture as well, I think that that will give you a much deeper understanding of how energy flows, truly flows. It's not superficiality of just working on the chakras, 
or just working in the field with the hands. There's a lot more layers to it than we can ever imagine. And it is the soul anatomy, I call it, of our entire being is much bigger than our physical anatomy. And that's anatomy that I'm hoping uh, medical scientists are going to begin to address in a much bigger way. I sure hope so. That wouldn't that be a great future? And we sure. would we would ha- have so much progress and innovation in um, cures for diseases and and things like this. I want to also say something. I actually heard something interesting that in the future the doctors are going to become obsolete because robots AI will take over because it's very easy to diagnose uh, and say okay well these are my symptoms here's the pill but the one thing that the AI cannot do is have the empathy and nurturing that humans, human heart has. So this is gonna be redefined, I'm sure, in the next 10 years. The other important thing that you just said is most people are seeking for cures. And this is the biggest, biggest paradigm shift that has to happen. And I ask this to every one of my patients and clients, what is the difference between cure and healing? Cure is, when you say, well, you give your power away, number one, because you seek for the magic pill, for the vaccine, for the doctor, for the therapist, for the coach to fix you, to make your problem go away. I used to have many years ago, people will come to me and say, well, my doctor sent me to you. So fix me. Here I am. Fix me. <laughs> right. So I had to quickly learn I'm not here to fix. But the healing part is where the person takes full responsibility for what brought them into the now. Right with all of the goodies that they've brought in, all the life experiences, emotions that they've had to live with and into the now and utilizing your practitioners, your coaches, your doctors, your therapists as part of your team. You're part of your guiding team because all of us are truly just guides and and the person has to become the master and therefore healing begins inside. So that's the paradigm shift that has to happen is everyone is seeking for the magic pill, for the cure, but there's really no such thing because we have to address our diet, our mindset and everything else. Yeah, totally, totally agree. And that's true for anything. That's even true for business. You know, I've, I've worked with people that come to me and they want a magic pill for marketing, you know, but there might be other things that they need to do in their business before they can really be truly successful. Um, maybe it's, you know, innovating, maybe it's actually aligning to their purpose, but yeah, it, it, it's, I think that's true for, for pretty much everything, right? There's no such thing as a magic pill. So yeah, that's really good. The work, you know, they don't want to do the work. They want, I call it the spiritual bypass. You know, there's everybody now on their, on the majority of people are seeking, okay, well, give me something, whether it's natural, not natural plant medicine, whatever it may be. I want to escape into something where I don't have to have the journey of how I got there. Well, the journey is the magic. It's not the outcome. And that's the one thing that people are forgetting, whether it's health related, business related, whatever it might be. And I can tell you, I wouldn't be where I am today without having the experience and the gifts that every single person I worked with that um, brought their wisdom, brought their uh, their own hardship and their own uh, issues. And because of those issues and whatever they've been experiencing, a much uh, better practitioner because of that. I couldn't do it just by reading books. Reading books is not going to get you anywhere. Yeah, 
totally so true. <laughs> yeah. Um, that hands-on experience, um, and not necessarily literally in your case, but yeah, it's so important for sure. Um, okay. So I, I would like to shift our conversation and talk a little bit more about, um, what we first opened up with, um, when it came to, um, what you've seen with clients and, you know, in your own story with the fear of success and where it, what it boils down to is really the fear of being seen. So, and we know that like one of the number one fears that people have is speaking, public speaking, right? And that's the ultimate of being seen. But what are some, what, are, well, you could talk about the path that you took or what you've seen in some of your clients, but what are some of those baby steps that we can start taking if we know, well, first of all, how do we even know that we're supposed to be seen? Like maybe we're just, you know, like, is there some innate desire to be seen, but we're just like, you know, brushing it under the rug or like, how do we know that's part of our destiny anyway? And then how do we get there? So it's such great questions. I'm thinking about myself and my journey and I can share that with you. Uh, for me, I remember that I was always had this desire and passion to share something with people, to bring light to certain information. But then I always thought, well, maybe I'm not educated enough. Maybe I'm not experienced enough. And again, I went through pharmacy school, board certified in functional medicine, kept telling myself, I don't know enough. Um, or maybe what I have to say is not important enough. And I remember talking to my girlfriend, who is a physician. She went through a pretty similar journey. And we kept seeing all these health coaches coming out. And they're like on podcasts and on radio shows and putting themselves out there. And we haven't. And it's, it was amazing to me, the complex of I'm not good enough. And that was kind of one of the first things that I had to overcome is, well, perhaps I do have enough information to share. And I actually have been in the trenches working with people. Um, and so it, it, I would say it's having the courage to really speak what is, what is important to you. If you have an important message to share, trust that it's meant to be shared and sometimes perhaps you do need a friend or two that are going to kind of push you in that direction I remember I have this one girlfriend and I was so afraid of doing Facebook lives of course now I do them almost every day and she put a, a camera in front of me she's like we're live right now so I was like, yeah, what do I do now we're live like she literally did that to me but that was the best thing because she kept talking about it. We actually went to um, a speaking class. Like we took a weekend course somewhere in public speaking. And even after that, I was so afraid to do it. But she just started doing it. And then she's like, you know what? Here, it's live. You're live now. What do you have to say? <laughs> so sometimes it takes a great friend that is going to cheer for you and encourage you to step into into your power, into your light, into your own light, and for you not to be afraid of it. So if you can surround yourself with friends and people who love you and who cheer for you, I think it's crucial. Yeah, so true. So developing that muscle of, of accepting and loving yourself, do you have any practices? I mean, that's so like abstract for people. You know, if you spend most of your day thinking, you know, picking at yourself, you probably don't even realize you're doing it until you become more aware of it. Right. So do you have a simple practice that you've, you've done to help 
cultivate that self-love? Yeah, I'm just trying to think. I think for me, it was not the lack of self-love, but it was truly fear of public speaking. That was like Mm. my big fear of public speaking and being seen. Like I was like, Mm -hmm. wow, if I'm seen, it comes with such huge responsibility. Am I ready to really have this responsibility? That was a huge fear of mine. And I would say what started helping me is I decided, okay, I'm going to start booking speaking engagements and teaching classes. And that helped me overcome the fear. I remember the first class I had to teach, I kept recording myself with my phone. And then I would set up uh, my kids. I would have my kids sit on the couch and pretend that they're the audience. And I remember how scary it was for me to even speak and teach in front of my children, which should be so natural, right? Right. all the time but that was a huge fear for me and then recording myself over and over and over and I would say that that helped me so if you are going to be afraid and not take action you're actually going to hold yourself back mm-hmm. and not take the opportunities uh, that will present themselves to you so I would say have the courage to even if you're in your biggest fear which I know that was for me I still just made a decision to move forward because I felt that the message uh, was really important uh, to shift many people's lives. Yeah, for sure. Well, so just to tie this back to childhood, did you find that there were any patterns or anything that kind of set your, set you up into this pattern of not wanting to be seen? Like what did you discover or was there anything in your story? You're, you're really good at asking questions. (laughs) 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 A couple of things I discovered. Um, Well, first of all, I grew up in Soviet Union, former Soviet Union, and I was on a rhythmic gymnastics team. I trained in an Olympic facility. I don't know if you know what rhythmic gymnastics is. So I trained 35 to 40 hours a week. And when we had to to have competitions, uh, of course, you're in your leotard and you have to go solo on the floor, right, on the mat. Music goes on, let's say for a minute and a half, and you have to do your whatever it is, right? You are you have to, to do your routine. And for me, it was one of the most uncomfortable things, and I'll explain to you why. Because I trained in the Soviet Olympic uh, facility, it was extremely abusive. Which actually, it's a story I've never shared with anyone. So you're the oh. first. Yeah. How cool! We got an exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> We had a list of all of our names and they put our weights up every single day. So we had to be weighed before practice and after practice. And then they had us stand in front of the mirror as a group and they will point out everything that is wrong with you. Whoa. Everything. And this is just to to give you uh, an example. Rhythmic gymnastics uh, in Soviet Union was so competitive. Everybody had to be skinny. You weren't allowed to eat. Actually, we weren't even allowed to drink water. My girlfriend and I used to, I remember, because we had to sweat six to seven hours a day, right? And you couldn't sweat because you're dehydrated. So they would watch us go to the bathroom. And then on the way back, they would check our mouth to make sure we didn't drink water. Wow. And they would say, and then they would yell at you because you're not sweating enough on the floor. So it was, there was so much, I'm I'm like so grateful I don't have an eating disorder. (laughs) I love food. But it was like 
everyday weighing. If you gained a pound, you were not allowed to go to competitions. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of things I can share about that. And then, of course, when you go and it, on the floor and, and it's a, it's a comp competition, right? You're in the middle of it. You are so self-conscious, like because they've programmed us that there's always something wrong with you, right? Whether it's skin hanging somewhere or whatever it might be. You're not pointing your toe enough. You're not keeping your arms straight enough. So yeah, that was definitely ingrained in me as a child, but it was so different at my home because my parents brought so much love. And of course I was never a child to complain because I never wanted to disappoint anyone. So I had these two realities of having a very competitive sport where there was a lot of emotional abuse right? Where you're never good enough. And at home, of course, where it was fueled with love. Uh, and I think perhaps for me, this is where the fear of being seen came, came and also fear of speaking my truth because I held it for many, many years and I didn't share except with a couple of my girlfriends that did it with me together. We went through this journey together. Wow. That is so powerful. Yeah. And I mean, so real because a lot of us have these buried stories within us that are literally in the cells of our bodies and the biofield, which you read. And, um, and until we heal them, we, we keep running the same story, right? We keep, we keep doing the same things. And so, um, yeah. I mean, the pivotal point for you, you know, in, in being seen, I mean, thank you for sharing all this. This is definitely helpful for a lot of people out there and for people who think, oh, you know, I don't really want to look at that. You know, some, some people have really painful traumas, you know, and even the little traumas, even if you wouldn't even consider it a trauma, you know, it's just someone looked at you funny one time. Um, yeah. They they pile up until you until you deal with them. Yeah. So. I would say courage to to step into your truth. And one thing, yes, I went through that experience as a child and a teenager. Uh, one thing it had taught me, even though there was all this crazy emotional abuse, right? I would say probably physical too, because we weren't. I mean, they would slap us and all kinds of things. But uh, what was what it taught me also when it was time to stand and go perform, right? You had to literally shut your mind off and not allow all the abuse and all the negativity you've heard day in and day out every single day. We were training six to seven days a week, right? So you had to shut all that off in order for you to perform and do your best on the floor, right? Whether it's a ribbon, ball, hoop, so you don't drop your equipment because it's very easy to get trapped into in that so somehow i think for me my survival mechanism kicked in and i said okay i'm not i'm no longer going to stay silent and therefore i will pursue what is important to me what is in alignment with my love with who i am and uh it took a couple of my friends to put me live on camera and then i said okay i'm going to start teaching and sharing my work with other people because it's important and we're so glad that you did <laughs> because all this could still be hidden unless you took those steps. So for those of you listening, I mean, if, if, if any of this rings true, you know, the time, 
the time to do the work is now people are waiting for you, you know, to, to, to bless and light up this world. So thank you for being on the show. How can, how can people get to know more about your work? And then once you tell us that, why don't you also end with a final thought or inspiring uh, moment at the end? Yes. Thank you. So the best way to connect with me is through my website, holistic.com, W-H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C. And you can send me an email and something for, for me to share with all of you. Even at the moments when you doubt yourself, just connect to your heart, be authentic and be loved and shine bright. I hope you loved today's episode. And if you did, please subscribe and leave a like, comment, and or review. Every interaction, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform, helps this podcast to reach more people like you. Thank you for tuning in to the Higher Genius Podcast. 